Welcome to the Dale Sabor A Tu Salute podcast by Tadine. I am your host, Chef Carla Contreras. Join me as we steep in the world of Tadine with tea-inspired recipes, steeping tips, and interviews with fellow creatives, foodies, and entrepreneurs from our community. You can find Tadine at Tadine Teas on Instagram and more information in today's show notes. Denise, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Can you introduce yourself and how you serve your community? Hi, my name is Denise Favela, and I am a content creator, recipe developer, community educator, and I'm a social scientist with a specialization in immigration and comparative politics. And I am currently a student at La Escuela Mexicana de Gastronomía, where I am working on a degree in Mexican, the history of Mexican gastronomy. Incredible. Denise, can you tell me what's in your taza? What was the last Tadine tea that you drank and how did you take it? So every evening I have Te de Siete Azares. It's uh, one of my preferred teas for many years. And I drink it with one package of raw stevia. And I like to sit down and at least give myself five minutes of silence and relaxation before I go to bed with it. That is so beautiful. I also love drinking this tea. It's one of my favorite blends. And the way that I take it is that I put a little bit of milk and I sit with my hands around that warm mug and take a deep breath. And I have two kids and my world is busy. So this is part of my nightly ritual. Yes, definitely. I definitely relate to that. (laughs) This is a huge question, but I'm going to ask you, How do you define Mexican cuisine? So I should start by saying that I don't feel prepared to give that definition, a certain definition at this point, because food culture is, it's fluid. It's constantly changing. If you had asked me five years ago, I would have given a definitive um, response to this. But today, as a student of the history of gastronomy and a collector of Mexican vintage cookbooks and reading further into regionalism and the different cuisines throughout regions and micro regions and just the wit, the diversity, I couldn't say that we can define it by certain foods or, or even by different cultural influences of the cuisine. I would say that it is a collection of multiple cultural influences and that has evolved over history and that we are still learning so much about it. And it is ever-changing with strong historical roots that date back to pre-colonial period. Incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that. What does it look like to you to preserve Mexican culture? As a child of Mexican immigrants, looks like what many would think of something that you unknowingly do on a daily basis. It is embracing your culture because it makes you feel at home. It is something you're familiar with. But at the same time, because we live outside of Mexico, we have to be more consistent and intentional in preserving that culture. 
obviously this experience would be much different from someone in Mexico, but for those of us living outside of Mexico, it is an intentional practice. I love that. I love that answer of intentional practice. And I feel like this for myself as a first generation, my dad is from Chile, and that it's also intentional to be part of Chilean culture. I would love for you to tell us about Josefina Velasquez de Leon and your project around her work and also your cookbook collection. So I came across Josefina Velázquez de León's books many years ago. Randomly, I picked one up and I was immediately drawn. When you see her books, um, which I didn't realize until last year, she actually did a lot of the artwork of the covers. They're incredibly beautiful and worthy of being framing. So you're allured to it. And at that point in my life, I wasn't where I am now, where I had the time to invest further into these cookbooks. But I started collecting more and trying her recipes and reading more. And what we know about her is she is from a small state in Mexico named Aguascalientes, which is tucked between the two states of Jalisco and Zacatecas. And she came from a very affluent family. She was born in the late 1880s. And her family later moved to Mexico City. We can see that Given that she came from a wealthy background, she had certain privileges that many other individuals didn't. But what we do know is she was a devout Catholic and she had a strong entrepreneurial and inquisitive and interest in seeking further and studying further Mexican gastronomy. And so what she did was she started a cooking school. She opened her own publication press at a radio show. She traveled throughout Mexico researching regional cuisine. And she ultimately, she produced over, at least from what we know of, 146 publications. And to date, we think that there are more because when some people, some of these collectors talk about the list, they find books that they have that are not included in the list. And this is what has made her so fascinating to women like myself, men and women like myself and others in Mexico and abroad, because she was absolutely devoted to her passion for Mexican gastronomy. And what we know is that she works seven days a week in this. So I would say that this for me pushed me to seek further into educating our community about who she is, because when you look on Google and you try to Google her name, so few publications can tell you about her. One of the first ones that I read was from Leslie Tellez, a food writer from Los Angeles, California. And I just felt like this woman needed to be recognized, especially during this period where we're living, where so many different amazing food personalities are coming about and we're talking so much about Mexican food. I felt this is a time for us to step back and look into our history and learn about what were people doing, who was sharing these recipes in times past and it's Josefina and many others like her during that time. Can you tell me about Josefina's recipes and how they might be similar or different to recipes that were created during her time? So Josefina's recipes, there's incredible diversity. 
I wouldn't be able to say that she had one specific cuisine of interest because she wrote books first on collections that focused on regional cuisine, where she traveled to different regions of Mexico, state by state. She didn't do all of the states, but she did many of them. And then she did Spanish cuisine, modern cuisine, cuisine that was organized around economic needs. She even had a series of books revolved around events. And she definitely had a keen eye to observing what her audience was looking to learn about in recipes. And she was responsive to that and produced recipes as a response to those interests. And she had recipes that were also specific, like the vegetarian cookbooks. Can you talk about that? Yes. So she... As of right now, I have three of those. Two of them are full books and one of them is a pamphlet. And they were published around 1946. She was not the only one to publish a vegetarian cookbook. There's another woman named Doña Adela and other smaller authors that, or less known authors that also were writing about vegetarian cuisine during this time period. And obviously this has been something that I am not a vegetarian myself, but Every time we think of Mexican cuisine, we think of meat. And I have seen many friends who are vegetarian cookbook writers and develop recipe developers, and they constantly get a lot of criticism for this. But we go back even to this period before the 70s, and people were already writing vegetarian cookbooks. And so I wanted to know the reason why. And it's hard, but... Finally, I was reading a chapter for one of the books by Jose Luis Juarez Lopez, who is a gastronomy historian in Mexico. And he was talking about post-revolutionary period during the Cárdenas administration. There was this public health push to encourage vegetarian diet among Mexican citizens. And the reason why was because they were finding that people did not have adequate resources such as refrigerators and whatnot to preserve their food, meats, most importantly, and they were going bad and people were consuming them and getting sick. So they started various campaigns of public outreach where they were educating people, not just on hygiene, but also on foods that they could create or make that were vegetarian based, like soy, beans, rice, and other grains. And this leads us back to Josefina Velasquez de Leon, her publications, and then later her collaboration in, I believe it was in the late 60s and 70s with CONASUPO, which is a Mexican paragovernmental organization that focused on providing affordable food staples for Mexican households. And these pamphlets, I believe, were given for free and they provided recipes for soya, which is soy, grains, garbanzos, beans, rice. And the purpose was to educate people how to make wholesome, nutritional, non-meat-based meals for the Mexican household. Can you tell me about the measurements in these cookbooks? Yes. So we've looked into, there's been some talk about, you know, whether or not Josefina was the first to include measurements in her books. And that's actually not, not the case. I believe there was El Cocinero Mexicano from the late 1880s that did 
have already a measurement, but she was probably one of the first to actively continually employ them and use them in all of her books. And this was a response, obviously, to her audience where she was working with you know, up middle class, upper middle class women and possibly their staff in trying to communicate them the best way or precise recipes to recreate meals for their household in a successful fashion. And this can include parties or events. Like there was also recipes that had large quantities, right? Yes. So she even had books that were not for parties. For example, like there's one, you know, just focused on all the meals and the details for baptisms. And she even included instructions for like the tablescape and everything, every detail you you can find. So this was, you know, obviously an audience for an upper middle class Mexican woman. But then she also had books for women that had the necessity to make food for sale for economic needs. And she had a series of them. There's two or three. And I am blanking. I'm, I have to apologize on the title, when, when, which ones I have, where she gives these recipes with these large quantities so that people could create these foods for selling. And it was a way, a response of speaking to the need of women who didn't have other professional outlets or uh, opportunities to find a source of income from the home. Can you tell me about the traveling to the different states and the different areas throughout Mexico? What was that like for her during that time? So travel during this period, obviously, she was traveling traveling to very rural regions during a period where many of the new toll roads and the new roads that we now have were not constructed. And I know this uh, for a fact. I didn't, you know, have to do much research into uh, because she did a book on Zacatecas, which is where my family from is from. And there's this whole segment of recipes from my mother's village. And I know because I started going there since I was born. And when I was born, uh, you know, when I would go there as a child, the road was really rough and difficult to get to. And from what my parents tell me, the time period that she traveled there, there wasn't even a paved road. So we know that she was traveling there. I believe it was with one of her sisters or both and her chauffeur. So she went through extensive efforts as a widow and woman during this time period, breaking the standards and stereotypes of, you know, most women during these time periods didn't even go out or travel by themselves. And she did and go to these uh, rural regions to collect the recipes for these books. And that itself is fascinating to me. Can you tell me how indigenous cuisine was incorporated? Because I feel like during these travels, that may have happened. Yes. So in all her books, she some of them do and some of them don't. There's not like a standard. For example, right now in front of me, I have La Cocina de Sonora. And she has an introduction that was actually written by, not by herself, but by a historian during the time period. And he writes about the colonization of the period, but also briefly talks about the indigenous communities that were encountered and these exchanges. And as a result of these exchanges, what were some of the foods that existed in those communities prior to colonization and then post? And whether it be the Yaquis and their practices of 
dried meats and pinole, which is a grounded corn, masa, and all these other products. And so she, in those regions that she writes about, she gives a historical context and then discusses those indigenous, the indigenous history of those regions to further explain the recipes that are common in such regions. Denise, you're talking about a lot of work here. You're talking about the cooking school, cookbooks, radio show, there's pamphlets, news articles. What do we know about Josefina's personal life? We know very little. If we went on social media right now and I looked up your name and I just went back two or three months, I would probably know more about you your interests and your beliefs and your what drives you than we know right now about Josefina. Why? She was a workhorse that in her books added very little of her personal opinion. Today we share part of what is lures us into or draws us to certain personalities online, on TV, where whatever, is their personal profile, their interests. We identify with them. They make them relatable. And she really seemed to work with this behind this cloak where, you know, here I'm sharing my recipes, but little else. And so we don't know about her romantic life. We don't know about her relationship with her sisters, any of this, but we do know we have to think about her based on her period, uh, the period in which she lived and her influences. We know she was a devout Catholic and she donated a lot to her charities. She engaged with the community, whether it be through the classes or by correspondence. And it was always, most of the time it was about food and she was so passionate about it that it seemed to be the sole driving purpose about her. And we, we've, there are some interviews out there with her cousin's great grandson, I believe, who has his own publication, uh, own press. And he, he talks about these stories that he heard through his family about her, but little else. And when sometimes people make these assumptions about what drove her, whether it was, you know, financial, because, you know, you're producing these books or classes or what in our economic, I hesitate to go that far, because we really don't know that. For someone like herself, we don't know that maybe it was just something, this was something that she was so passionate about, that she just continually worked towards it. And she was just so lucky to be fortunate enough to have such an interest in her work and people taking her classes. Denise, can you tell us what happened to Josefina's work? Why is it so hard to find information about her, to come across her books? So what we know is when she passed away, she she had no children. She was a widow and never had any children. She and her two sisters worked with her. And from what we hear, I believe the sisters briefly, you know, they did try to keep up the school and whatnot, but at some point they, they surrendered. And some people talk about them just putting boxes and boxes of her books out to the curb. And I think there's a story about Rick Bayless hunting down one of her family members and asked, uh, going into the house and picking up just boxes that were laying there of her books. And 
it's not clear from what we have researched who has the rights to her books. What we do know is that copyright law in Mexico is about, it's valid for about 100 years. So whoever has them still has those rights. And this is a question that stirs so many interests because there's an interest of people to buy her books. But the cheapest I have found a book, and not even a full book, a pamphlet, is on average 800 to 1,000 pesos, which is about 45 to $55 for a pamphlet. And some of her books go in the 600s. And so this makes it really hard to make her work accessible because they are so aged and delicate that even if you wanted to digitize them, it would mean you'd have to sacrifice the book because it would probably be destroyed. And this is really unfortunate because I do believe, at least in my humble opinion, her work is incredibly valuable. Well, thank you so much for sharing about Josefina and her work and also your research over the last few years. Where can we find you? Where can we support you? So you can find me on Instagram and it's all in Spanish. It's hecho with an H, visto, comido. And it basically means done, seen, eaten. And I share there a lot of my own personal recipes and you will also find the collaborative videos on her recipes on my feed. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Denise. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Have a wonderful day. You too. And anyone listening to this podcast, I would love to hear your thoughts. You can tag Denise at her handle. Everything is going to be in the show notes. And I hope that you enjoy your day. Bye. Gracias. Thank you so much for steeping in the world of Tadine. I am your host, Chef Carla Contreras. You can find Tadine at Tadine Teas on Instagram and more information in the show notes. If you're on iTunes or Spotify, please leave us a review. Adios. Adios.